We are better together. Clownfish and anemones have a mutually beneficial relationship. The anemone offers protection, and the fish keeps the anemone clean from bacteria. God created us each with a special purpose. When we do our part, all benefit. I need what you have to offer, and you need me to do my part. We are each unique and important, and we are infinitely better together. Stories of how God has worked in our lives. And when we tell our stories, what happens is God shows up. We talked about it last week, you know, this... When you share your story, God shows up in the middle of it. And when you share your story, you're saying, not only do I believe God has done this in my life, but I believe he can do it again in your life. And stories are powerful because they're true. You can't argue with it. Like, this is what I was, this is what happened, and this is what I am. That's my story. You don't have to make anything up. You just tell your story. And it's powerful. And today is Father's Day, and it's a day dedicated to honoring the role of fathers in our lives. The prophet Isaiah said one of the names for God is the everlasting father, right? And in Psalm 103, King David says this, the Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to the Lord, to those who fear him. So God is our heavenly father. He's our leader. He's our defender. He's our teacher. He's our friend. He's that, that heavenly perfect father to us. And here's the thing, as perfect as God is as the father, aren't there times where it's, it's complicated between us and God, right? Like sometimes it's, you don't always get, you know, I don't, don't always know if I trust or get along right, and sometimes I don't understand what he's doing, and I wonder. And, and if it's complicated between us and the perfect father, it only follows that between us and our earthly fathers, it can be even infinitely more complicated, right? It can be very difficult. Some of you, <coughs> excuse me, have had wonderful fathers. Some have had no fathers at all. Some had fathers who were something in between, I just want to say this, to all the dads in the room right now, we believe the best in you. First and foremost, we are rooting for you, and I believe God gave you your children because he knew you were the perfect dad for them. Think about that. God gave you your children because he knew you were the perfect dad for them. Today is a brand new day. There's grace all around you. We may not have always been perfect dads. Anybody got a perfect dad? I don't know. Anybody? Yeah, some of you do. Some of you do. you got perfect dads. There you go. You know, it doesn't mean they did everything right, but it means they did their best, right? And that's what we believe. The role of a man in our society has been greatly obscured. It's very difficult to figure out what a man is supposed to be. The expectations are very hard to define, uh, let alone successfully accomplish. And Solomon said this, and I want to, he, he, he said this about children. He said, children are like arrows, in the hand of a warrior. Anybody ever hear Psalm 127? No, ever hear that? Children are like arrows. He said, blessed is a good word. Blessed is the warrior whose quiver is full of them. Anybody know what a quiver is? It's what holds the arrows, right? Some of you hunters, all right? So, arrows revolutionized warfare. For the very first time in history, a soldier could impact a battle they weren't in. They weren't physically in long-range, distance warfare, right? They were actually impacting a battle where they weren't present physically. It wasn't hand-to-hand anymore. Well, think about that when it comes to children. The metaphor God uses, children you're going to send out to impact a world you may never go to, right? Children are going to impact the world in way... In my kids are going to see things that I won't see. They're going to go places I won't go. They're going to talk to people I won't... They're going to impact the world where I'm not going to go, right? And so there's three things that fathers and parents give their children. The first is this, right? We're going to give you direction. 
I'm going to point you in a certain direction. The, the second is I'm going to create opportunity. I'm going to pull it back. I'm going to create, you know, that, that tension, that opportunity for, and, and then there's the smooth release. I got to let go. Right? Some parents don't let go, right? They're like this. The kids are 60. And they're like, I, I promise I'm going to let go one of these days, right? And they're just, and you know if that's your mom or dad, they just can't let go, you know, not go in there. But it all starts, it all starts with direction. In Judges, it tells us that what happens when people don't have direction, and I'm sorry if I'm talking a little bit, but I'm not preaching every week, and i got to get it out just a little. All right, so I'm trying. All right, I'm really trying. But it says this in, in Judges. It says we can see what happens when there is no direction. Talking about fathers, direction, children like arrows. But here's what happens if there's no direction. You ready? It says the Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua, the leaders who outlived him. So Moses, you know, leads them out of Egypt. Joshua leads them into the promised land. All right. So Joshua is this great leader. It says they served God throughout the life of Joshua. It says, and then Joshua died at the age of 110. That's a pretty good life. All right. They buried him in the land. It says after that generation died. Listen to this. After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight and served the images of Baal, who was another god. It says they abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. And they went after other gods, worshipping the gods, the people around them. Think about this. It took one generation. One generation to forget. The God who had led them out of Egypt, the God who had led them into the promised land, one generation. That's all it took. For a nation to forget the God who had led them out. Isn't that sobering? Without direction, it takes one generation for people to forget everything that God has done in your life. So it's not enough that God is at work in our lives. Because that's not enough. Because God worked in powerful ways in Joshua's life. You read that story. It's crazy how many miracles happened. How God worked in just incredible ways, bringing a nation into a promised land. And one generation later, they have no idea. Here's the solution. Psalm 78, O my people, listen to my instructions, for I will speak to you in parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past. Stories we have heard and known. Stories our ancestors handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. For he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born. And they, in turn, will teach their own children. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Let me tell you, the worst thing we can do as a generation of people who has experienced God is not tell our story. Because all it takes is one generation for it to be gone. Our kids, I don't want to influence our kids. Yes, I do. I want my kids to know what God has done in my life. I don't want to force them to believe anything, but I want them to know my story. They've got to decide for themselves, but I want them to know the story of God in my life. This is for fathers and mothers and everyone else who can hear this. The greatest gift you can give children is your personal story of what God has done in your life. This Father's Day, tell your story. When you tell a story, you're giving them an eternity-changing gift. You are pointing them in a direction. And without that direction, it's almost impossible for them to impact the target. They're going to have to find it on their own. 
Let's give the next generation the gift of direction. Saying, this is what I believe. I'm going to point you to the God I know. Do not hide our story from them. When I say the word millennials, what do you think of? How many think of a positive thing? <laughs> yeah, like few of you, right? Some of you, how many, if you are millennials, you're like, oh, don't you go. I'm not, don't worry, don't worry. I'm on your side. Please don't hate me. Here we go. How we point the next generation to God. How about we do that? How about instead of criticizing millennials and saying, oh, millennials this, millennials that. How about instead of getting on them, we get behind them. And we give them opportunity and we give them direction and we point them in the right direction. Let's propel them into a world. Kids, I want to propel you into a world where you can take your faith and impact places we will never go. You're going to see a world that we will never see and God has uniquely gifted you to reach a world that we can't reach because we don't understand it. When we share our story, it's not just living in the past. It's an investment in the future. When you share your story, you're actually investing in the future. It's not just looking in the past. Let's build up the next generation. So with that, we're going to do that today. We're going to share our story with the next generation. Pastor Andre and Carrie are coming. They're going to be working with our youth. They're going to do a lot of stuff. They're going to be investing in that generation. But they're not the only ones to do it. We all need to do it. We all need to tell our stories. Let me tell you, youth ministry is not just about a pastor. Youth ministry is collective. I did it for 15 years. It is a church-wide effort to support, to get behind, and to, to be the church with our, with our young people. Okay, everybody needs to tell our story. Everybody's got a role in this. It takes a village. Yes, it does. It takes a church. It takes a community. We're all in this together. You see the kids up here today? They're part of what we do. Everything we do is constantly pouring into the next generation because they need to know. Because we don't want it said of us that we hid the truth, that we were afraid to tell our story. That a generation grows up who has no idea about a God who does wonders. We want them to know. So today I want to invite up my, my father-in-law and my mother-in-law, Grandpa Gordy and Grandma Joyce Thomas. And they're going to share their story today. You can keep clapping. Come on. They, they take a little while. They're taking their time. Here we go. Thank you. In-laws go. with mics. This is great. <laughs> with microphones. Absolutely. So if you're, if you're unfamiliar with what we're doing here, I'm just going to ask some stories, and they're going to share their life story of how God has worked in their life. It's testimony. And again, listen for what God has done in their life. He can do it again in your life. I'd also say listen okay, for how God has worked in their life. All right, search, Find God in that. And everybody, young to old, listen. We need to know the story of how God has worked because he's going to continue to do that. We need to know what God's doing. So uh, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Our pleasure. If you guys don't know, um, this church would not be in existence without these two people right here. Not true. Not true. He has a mic, but I get one more often. And so I'm telling you, what you don't see behind the scenes is they are the motor that has made this church run since day one. We began as ten people meeting in their living room, praying, and I'm telling you, it's been, it's, it, it's, 
and am I am I underestimating this? I mean, seriously, without without my mother and father-in-law, we, this church isn't here. So I'm just so grateful for for who they are and just the kind of investment they've made in us. They were going to a nice church, and we started this, and they had to leave it to come with us and set up chairs in a school. I'm serious. They were going to a great church. They were going to Westerly Road. It's if you haven't been there, it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. They have nice music. It was like awesome. And then I was like, we, we do. Too. But in the beginning, we were setting up in a school without air conditioning. And it was hot. And it was a lot of work. And you know what? They believed in, in this. They believed in this. And so I just, I so appreciate them. And uh, I needed to say that. So, all right. Yeah, no, not yet. No, I, I got the question. In-law, in-law with a mic. You're in trouble <laughs> for the whole day. All right. So, first question can you guys just share a little bit about uh, your early years? What was life like growing up for you both? And, uh, yeah, life as a child. Go ahead. You don't have to tell us, you know, when. Um, but. I was, um, my dad was a pastor also. And um, by the time I was nine, we had moved a number of times and ended up in New Jersey. Uh, I have one brother who I really, really love. He's back there. And um, we... Um, had a we had a great life. We um, our grandparents lived far away, and so every summer we would um, my when we were living whether it was in New Jersey or we lived in Missouri, we lived in Arkansas. Wherever we were in the summer, we would um, either get in the car and drive to visit our parent our grandparents on Long Island. Or we would take the train and go out to Idaho and spend two weeks with our family in Idaho. Um, so it was, um, we had a lot of fun. John and I were, you know, pretty close. I'm a lot older than he is. Um, and over the years, probably become even closer through tragedy and difficulty that we've had in our lives. But we had a good life. In some ways, as a pastor's child, um, probably some resentment at times, feeling like that maybe at times the church came ahead of us. Uh, and had, kind of had to come to terms with that over time, um, but really had a, a wonderful, you know, our parents adored us, and we knew that. We never doubted that for a minute, how much they loved us, and um, yeah, it was, yeah, it was good. Your turn. Uh, so uh, my parents weren't pastors. Um, my father was a teamster. Uh, those of you who may not know what a teamster is, uh, he's a truck driver, uh, and if some of you know truck drivers, you know the kind of language truck drivers use, and so I grew up with uh, a father who was a truck driver. Uh, my mother, on the other hand, was not a truck driver. Uh, she was a uh, Christian. She was uh, a little uh, four-foot-ten Italian woman um, who used to chase me around with a broom. Um, she was the... Uh, she was the, really the matriarch, religious matriarch in the family. Um, she's the one who kept us, uh, kept us uh, going to church, kept us straight and narrow, kept us focused on um, what was uh, real for us. Uh, I have a brother. I'm the oldest, so Joyce and I are both. Uh, <laughs> Joyce and I are both first children, which really makes for an exciting, exciting marriage. Since we're both type A, we all we like lists. Uh, we like to be in charge. And so after about the first ten years of banging my head against the wall, I became a type B. And 
and Joyce is the type A for all of us. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> My life has been good since then. Um, uh, so I have a, a younger brother uh, who lives in t- Tennessee, uh, outside of Nashville. Married a Nashville girl and decided never, ever, ever to go back to Syracuse, New York, where we grew up. I have a sister who's also in Tennessee, Blanville, uh, Tri-Cities, somewhere near where the Marmons got their sweet tea and uh, all the other stuff that you get down there, grits and uh, hush puppies and stuff like that. Um, But my mother basically kept us uh, going to church. Uh, I I, I was just a normal kid growing up. I had normal rotten. Uh, I was a, I was a boy, so I had normal rotten. You know, got caught breaking into a guy's barn one time, and you know, doing stealing things. And the hardware store guy got tired of seeing me steal ten penny nails for no reason, that kind of stuff. So I was pretty normal, pretty a uh, pretty normal kid. Um, so uh, let's see, that was it. What was the question? No, that was it. Just what was life like? Yeah, growing up. That's that's awesome. It just so happens, yeah, that his sister is in the same exact town that Andre and Carrie and we didn't even know that connection until a few years ago and uh, yeah about a mile away isn't that of all right of all the places in the world like it's just amazing how that worked out and uh, I think I believe it was your nephew that was cutting their lawn was that right Chris was Chris yeah I mean it's unreal how the connections that God works out you know never would have known that just so happened um, so when you were a kid what did you want to be when you grew up in charge. In what? In charge. In charge. <laughs> She's lived up to that too. By the way. Um, I uh, early in my life, uh, I was very interested in math and science, and um, some of my um, some of my relatives, uh, cousins, tell me that I was good at it too. I don't really remember that since I'm so old. Uh, so I imagine I wanted to be in some sort of math or science um, background. Uh, I do know that about um, 12 or 13 or 14 that I really just wanted to be a ninth grade algebra teacher. I mean, that's all I wanted to be. I loved algebra, I loved math, and I wanted to be a uh, be a ninth grade teacher. Uh, it didn't work. So uh, Joyce got to be in charge. I did not get to be a ninth grade algebra teacher. So, yeah, so for those who don't know, what what did life look like for you? Like, what did you become? What did you end up doing as you as you you know for a career? Yeah, go ahead. So uh, I'm going to start, and then Joyce can fill in the gaps because she's better at it. Um, I uh, we both went to college at uh, I, we both went to college at Evangel University in Springfield, and of course I I was there to be a ninth grade algebra teacher, um, and so we both uh, met. One of my senior years, I was on a six-year plan. Uh, those of you who don't remember the Vietnam War uh, won't understand that, but I was on a six-year plan in college. Um, so Joyce and I met one of my senior, junior years or senior years, and we got married. And then coming out of Evangel, uh, we had the most wonderful opportunity to go to Kentucky to be uh, youth leaders and build a school there for a church in, what was it, Paducah? Paducah, Kentucky, somewhere, I don't know. Um, and it was great. So we're living large uh, and just really ready to go, trying to be idealistic uh, uh, right out of college, uh, a couple trying to work in the church. And 
the draft, my draft notice came. So those of you who don't remember that, um, there was a draft back then, and I won. And so uh, <laughs> there goes uh, Paducah, Kentucky, right out the window. And I ended up, um, long story, and if you want to hear the rest of it, I'll tell it to you later. I ended up going in the Army. I went in to officer candidate school because I was a college graduate. Uh, I said, I'll just stay two years. Uh, two years turned to six. Six years turned to twelve. 12 years turned to 20, and I said, okay, let's retire. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we did. And so the majority of our life, instead of being youth pastors in an Assemblies of God church, I think they were assemblies, um, in Paducah, Kentucky, and staying in that region, uh, we ended up really all over the world with the uh, Army. Uh, And so that within that context, Joyce can talk about her side of it, because as an Army wife, or spouse now, um, it's much different uh, than if you lived in a town your whole life. Uh, Joyce and I lived in, I don't know, 17 or so different places uh, during our, okay, she's she's always right, 12, 12 12 (laughs) of the 17 places we lived together. (laughs) Uh, The other five places I was by myself, Korea, Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Afghanistan, those kind of places. Um, but we, um, we moved all over the place. And so the thing that made, two things made it um, easier for our kids. One is you get zoned into the military community. That's the first thing. And it's always the same. You know where, you know where to go to get this. You know where to go to get that. You just have to make new friends. Second thing is we always was always zoned into a church, always, and it didn't matter what was going on in either one of our lives, uh, whether we were living with the Lord or without Him. Uh, we always went to, went into a church because we needed the the kids needed stability, but so did we, and so our our focus was trying to create in this twelve move methodology that we're in some normalcy. Uh, for the family, and so I'll let Joyce fill in the fill in the gaps if she likes. I don't know what else to say. I I was a teacher um, for 35 years, and of course it was complicated because we moved so much. So every time I went someplace, I had to look for another job, and so that created um, complications and challenges. Um, taught in a private school. I've taught in. Um, Community college. I taught in a um, in public schools. Um, the school administrator for a while, um, but it was challenging. Whereas, often you start a job and you're able to build up a lot of time there. Uh, I wasn't really able to do that, um, but it was exciting and um, got to meet a lot of new people and a lot of wonderful students, with whom I still stay in contact with after all these years. And so, um, it was it was good and it was a good life. Tough. Um, Gordy was gone a lot, and so I, I guess one of the blessings, I didn't end up in jail for killing my kids, but um, it, was, it was difficult when you're, and I said if any time I was alone, I had a new appreciation for single parents, what it's like to have to make decisions, buying and selling homes, buying and selling cars, and um, setting up a household by myself, and taking kids to, you know, games and doing all that on my own. When Gordy was there, he, and if I can just say this, it being Father's Day, one of the things I appreciate so much about him is 
how much of a priority his children were over the years. And as a person in the military, as a military officer, you have obligations, but he did everything in his power to be there for those children. Everything in his power. And it could have impacted his career in, in, in retrospect to some degree. Um, he made sure he coached and he went places with them. And we really always knew we were his priority. We knew that. We never doubted that for a minute. And so I guess I would say to you out there on this Father's Day, you know, what are your priorities? You know, dads, making sure your kids have a bigger house, making sure that you have this, that, or the other thing. I can tell you what your kids would rather have is you rather than all those things. They want you. And so make that a priority on this Father's Day. That You don't look back 30 years, 40 years when you retire and I'm sure you've seen the little signs that say, nobody after 40 years looks back and said, I wish I had less time with my children. Mm-hmm. They usually say they wish they had more time with their children. And we, and we have three children. Uh, my daughter, uh, Dan Greco's uh, lovely wife, short wife. Um, <laughs> just, just shorter than me, that's all. Which does right. make her short, I guess. Right. That was never on my list for, uh, good for good-looking women. You know, I just didn't matter. Didn't matter what height they were. Didn't matter. Um, I have a, I have a, a son who's in South Jersey, um, who's a public school teacher, also active in the church, uh, married to a lovely, lovely woman, three great kids. One of them's here today. Don't tell your mother I said that. Um, and then uh, I have an older son who works in UPenn, a uh, little logo on my shirt. Um, uh, so it was, it's, been, uh, it's been exciting. Joyce says we supported them, and we did. We did everything we could. You know, you always think you want to, you, you always think you should be able to try to do more. But you do everything you can uh, for, your, for your kids, uh, even if they're not perfect. I'll save the rest of it for the rest of the story. <laughs> so so uh, moving into the realm of faith now, um, you know, when did, when did faith become real to you, you know, as a kid? Not just, you know, obviously, you know, you talk about your parents and the role they had, but like when did it become something personally that you embraced? Um, I don't ever remember church and faith not being a part of my life, ever. My mother used to tell the story that when, uh, you know, as soon as she got out of the hospital, the next Sunday, uh, I was in church on a pillow. It was before the days of infancy, so I'm not so young. Um, So church has always been a part. You know, I was teaching Sunday school and playing the piano at church when I was 10 or 11 years old. But I really had a watershed, is that the right word, watershed? A watershed moment uh, in my 30s um, when I really came to understand what grace means. I had, I don't know, for some reason I had a, the idea of God being, you know, very exacting and judgmental. And our parents weren't like that, so I'm not sure that where really all that came from. But in my 30s, we, I think at the time we were living in Europe, we were going to a wonderful chapel, Protestant chapel in um, Germany, and people of every faith, um, and I, don't, I can't even explain it, but it really began a journey for me of grace, of understanding that God knows that I am weak. God knows that, Scripture says that he knows that we're made of dust. Um, Paul said, I don't do what I'm supposed to do, and I do what I'm not supposed to do. And I don't know about you, but I can sure identify with that. 
But God understands that. He understands when we um, fail. He understands when we doubt. He understands when we are in a time of searching for our faith. I'm, I'm now closer to 70 than I am 60, and I still struggle at times to understand faith and faith issues. But for me, really beginning in, in my 30s began this wonder, I call it a grace journey of realizing just how much the Lord loves me in spite of the fact that I am so flawed. I'm flawed, and, and so are you, in case you didn't know it. But God sees beyond that. Just us. Just us two oh, are flawed. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But God sees beyond that, and that for me was a huge step of faith that started really this little journey of faith for me. So I, um, my father, as I told you, was not uh, necessarily a re- religious person. Uh, but my mother uh, put me into VBS uh, one summer, and it wasn't the puppets. Okay? <laughs> For those of you who haven't been here, uh, everybody seems to be influenced by puppets in, uh, in VBS, not me. It was some sort of chalk drawing guy. You know, this, we're talking about the 50s here, okay? Not the not 1950s. Um, so I just had a um, uh, redemptive experience. Uh, I can remember telling my mother the next day how clean I felt inside, how mm. amazingly washed I felt. Mm. Um, so that was my start. And then I was a typical, uh, where's Kevin Holt? Typical knucklehead yeah. as a teenager, you know, doing all the things that I was shouldn't have been doing. And part of the issue was, and Joyce, Joyce brings a good point, for some reason there was... The, the scripture, and then there was a whole other set of rules by the church. You know, you, you couldn't, uh, couldn't go to movies. I know none of you know about this because you're not as old as I am. But you couldn't go to movies. You couldn't go to bowling alleys if they had a bar. You couldn't, uh, you couldn't dance. You couldn't, I mean, there's a whole list of things. And so here I am, a kid and a teenager, and there's teenagers up there growing up. And so you automatically feel guilty every time you do something. And so I'll tell you, after that first experience in 1957, uh, because of all the things I was doing that I thought were against the law, um, I must have had ten more experiences like that because I always felt like I needed it. I always felt like I needed to be cleansed and cleaned because I was always falling short, continuously. Uh, And Joyce's comment about the grace journey, it took me a little longer than that to get to that point where I realized that God loves me no matter what, um, that I need to strive to do as good as I can, but he knows I'm probably going to stink at it. Um, And the most important thing, and Joyce brought it up as well, is the thing that changed in my life was about, I don't know, 20 years ago or so, I heard a message about Daniel. And, of course, Pastor Dan just had uh, battles in uh, Babylon, and we did, we did uh, Daniel. But part of what was discussed in the messages about Daniel previously, about 20 years ago now, was that Daniel sought to be with God. Just like my kids seek to be with me. How do my kids know me? My kids know me. Because they're with me. Because I want to be with them, which our Heavenly Father wants to be with me. But also, they, my kids want to be with me. 
I can remember, I told you I have a son who lives in South Jersey, uh, below the Mason-Dixon line, I jokingly say. Um, it is. Uh, so we ha- I had something, we were, we were driving down there to see them. Um, I think they only had one, uh, one son at the time. And it was a long drive, and so being old, I have to go to the men's room right away. And uh, so I go into the men's room, and it looks empty, except I can kind of hear some rustling in one of the stalls. So I'm, you know, doing my business uh, at the stand-up place, and uh, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I hear from the stall my son, Nate. He says, Dad, Dad, is that you? And I'm thinking, I'm standing here at the urinal by myself, and my son says it's me. How does he know it's me? So, I, so I know you're laughing. I was too. I'm going, yeah, yeah, Nate, it's me. So he's in there helping his kid, young son, you know, do the things you got to do when they're that age. And he comes out, and I said, well, how did you know it was me? He said, well, I heard you walk in, and I know your walk, and I heard your, I heard you breathing, and I know how you breathe. Now, how does he know that? Does he know that because he only comes around once in a while? Did he know that because I never was with him? No. He knows that because he was with me. He liked to be with me. And see, to me, the change for me occurred at that Daniel moment when Daniel, every three times a day, wants to be with God. Wants to be. Doesn't want to do Although he does do, he wants to be. And so when he has to do, he's already got God there. He's already been there. There's no panicky prayers, if you'll notice in Daniel. Um, there's just a sh- an assurance. Read it, read it as if you never read it before. There's this assurance on Daniel's part when the king asks him something that he says immediately, my God can do that. My God can do that. And he, and he does it. He does it through Daniel. So uh, the moment for me was a little later, and it was really about being uh, with God. That was really it, being with him. That's what he wants. That's what he wants to. He wants to hug me. He wants to. I want to be able to learn what is what it sounds like when he breathes. I want to know all that. What, how it sounds like all the time with him. And so that's that's been the that's been really my chart um, since about. I don't know, 20 or 25 years ago. Well, thank you. That's awesome. Um, so, flip side of that, when life gets tough, when life gets hard, you know, what's the hardest part of trusting God for you? Uh, do you struggle? Are there moments that you struggle? You know, is it always just this faith, or are there moments that, you know, what causes you to doubt or struggle? And then how do you deal with that? Um. We have certainly known sorrow in our family. We've lost parents. I lost a nephew. Um, We've had difficult things happen. Yeah, we had uh, we had drug overdoses. We had prison time. We had uh, other medical things happen that were significant in our family and with our kids. And so there's there's a number of things that you know. Peripherally, or if, if you're not deeply involved with Joyce and Gordon's life, you probably wouldn't even have 
uh, obviously known it. This is a snapshot for most of you because you didn't know us back when these things were happening. But we had these types of things happen. Go. And um, you do, it is so easy to say, Lord, <laughs> do you know what you're doing here? This is not right. Um, and I think early on we learned to, I learned to, as a matter of the will, say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I don't understand this, and life is not good right now, um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust you. And he has been faithful. I, uh, one of our kids has juvenile diabetes, and I can remember one day talking to a lady I worked with who also had a daughter who had uh, diagnosed almost the same time, 13, they were diagnosed. And I can remember saying to her, Marilyn, you know, do you, uh, do you ever wonder why me about this? And she started to laugh. She said, it's so funny you would ask me that because I, would, I said that to Carrie one day. Her daughter's name was Carrie. She said, and I said that to Carrie one day. And she said, she looked at me and she said, Mom, why would I say, no, why would I say that? Why not me? Who am I to say that I should not suffer when other people also suffer? And I haven't forgotten that um, because everybody does go through something. You know, you look around today, some of you are facing some big medical things ahead. You know, some of you need jobs. Some of you need, you know, whatever. We all face suffering. Um, But it is through the suffering that you come to appreciate the dependence upon the Lord and that he walks through. And for us, he walked through it. He did not take a lot of stuff away. I wish he would, you know, but he's not Santa Claus. He's God. You know, he doesn't promise to make everything wonderful and give us everything we want, but he promises to be with us. And so for me, it's been really, truly a matter of the will to say, you know, I don't understand this and I don't like it. And I've gotten mad and I've sworn at him a few times. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm being real honest with you. I don't think you know what you're doing here. But and he understands that, too. It goes back to grace that we can struggle and know that he will walk through those times with us. Um, but it's tough. It's really, really tough. So um, one of the times that uh, um, we were facing some issues with one of, the, uh, one of my children, um, uh, it was the MPs, military police, uh, coming to tell me about what was going on. And, of course, uh, Joyce and I uh, had two, two other kids, obviously, and there's an effect on them as well when all this other stuff was going on. So Joyce and I, I she asked me, what are you going to do? And I said, I've already turned um, his life over to God because I cannot control what he's doing anymore. It's not, I can do only so much and I'm doing all of that, but God needs to take care of that. So let me fast forward. This was about, I think, uh, 14 he was. And at about 21, now think about that, those of you who have 14-year-olds, or 14 to 21. Between 14 and 21, it was terrible. And then the light went on in the 21-year-old's head. And he started realizing in his own, now having said that, having turned it over to God, um, I'm pretty sure there was probably some other stuff going on there that I'm not aware of. 
but I um, uh, know that the light went on in his head, and now he's, uh, you know, the, the things that caused all the trouble in his life, bad decisions, and uh, that caused him jail time and other stuff, all that stuff is by him, behind him now. And so it became really a... So our prayer was when he was 14. Uh, the answer didn't come till about really 20 something uh, for that prayer. And one of the things that that has been um, it's it's been difficult for me is not understanding why God doesn't answer the prayer the way I want the prayer answered. You know, I I, I want. I want, this is the result, Lord, that I want. That's how I pray. Well, that's how I think. And what happens, let me go back to um, uh, Paducah, Kentucky. Our prayer wasn't to go in the army. I can tell you that. Our prayer wasn't. When I got out of the army in uh, 1991... I was looking for a, a job locally. We we're in uh, New Jersey, which was great. And my prayer was to get a job because I was going to have maybe three kids going to college soon. And so I think, gee, I, gotta, I better get a lot of money. So I, the only job that I got, and I, we prayed, I got a job that was um, one-third less money than I was making in the military. And I'm thinking, how are we ever going to do this? And so, you know, I went back to prayer. I said, Lord, what's up here? This isn't exactly the answer that I was looking for. Well, that job 18 months later, um, because I was working with another company, I was working with a company, but we were teamed with other companies. The boss from another company saw me, said, you're wasting your time there. Come join us. And all, I got, you know, I got a little bit of a raise. And then I stayed with that company for 17 years because of that. Now, if I didn't take that job with that first company that the Lord had given me, would that guy from the partner company ever known me? Never. The Lord knew what was going on. He knew that I was going to be connected to this other company and then work for this, you know, number four in the world systems integrator um, for 17 years. He, he knew that. I didn't know that. All I could see was, you know, a four-year view of what was going on uh, in my life. He saw it way longer than I did. Then, my daughter, your, the pastor's wife, uh, got an internship at the same place and, you know, made some inroads. My son, the, the, the uh, teacher down in South Jersey, uh, did some work there for a couple of summers, which then launched his career into IT, which it never would have without this on his resume. And then my oldest son, um, <laughs> my oldest son, whose light switch went on at about 23 or so, uh, he also got a job working there as a temp. And he's, he, he worked there for almost 17 years as well after that. So think about that simple prayer I prayed to the Lord. Lord, I need a job that's going to give me enough money to make sure my kids can get to college. And yet the answer was, okay, we're going to give you one-third less. How's that? 
How's that for an answer, Gord? Uh, loving you, you know. Put, put your arm around me. Um, but what did it turn into? It turned into terrific for um, my oldest son, my middle son, and my, my daughter of having had that experience to uh, do those kinds of things. So I, I think back, the other thing I think back to is um, when, when David in the Bible, the man after God's own heart, uh, was praying for the health of his son. And there's a big backstory, and I won't, I won't preach. Um, it's getting late. It's getting late, yeah. I'm watching the clock. Um, he was praying for his son who was sick. His son, I think, with Bathsheba. Yeah. And uh, he prayed, and he did everything. This was a man after God's own heart. And the boy died. And think about that, David, a man after God's own heart, and the prayer you know, that he wanted, the answer that he wanted didn't come. And then I, I read real quickly what did David do after that. He did not grouse about it. He didn't say, why, God? He got up, he cleaned up, he ate something, and he went back to doing what life was about. That's, to me, that's hard because, you know, it's, especially in that case. But that's a, that's a little bit of a model for me to understand that, okay, I didn't really get the answer that I wanted, but I better just get back up, wash my face, have something to eat, and get going. So, Got to eat, yeah. Yeah. Italian. <laughs> so is there a, uh, a Bible verse that has been with you through the years or something that's you know, sort of an anchor verse for you in your life? If you've been in a small group with me before, you've already heard this, so sorry. But um, when we were living in Germany, um, one day I was reading a passage of Scripture, and for some reason I hadn't ever seen this. This was way back in the... 80s, I guess. I'd never seen this passage of Scripture, and I took the time to memorize it. And I don't memorize well. It takes me a little while. But I memorized this passage of Scripture, having no idea what was going to lie ahead. Um, And it's interesting because over the next year, from people who didn't even know me well, or people who knew me well and didn't know anything about our lives, one called, one sent a letter Um, another one stopped me somewhere on base one day and said, you know, I just really feel strongly. I want to share a passage of Scripture with you. It was this passage of Scripture. I mean, it was like weird. Um, And it's interesting because it's really, if you, you, it's sort of taken out of context because it was was Jeremiah, God speaking about to the children of Israel what he was going to do for them. But it's a, today people use it all the time, but it's Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you. They are plans for good, to give you a future and a hope. And let me tell you, within that period of time of memorizing that passage of Scripture, Gordy found out he was going to retire. Um, Nathan was diagnosed with diabetes. We had problems with the other one. Gordy sets off and goes to Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, during the first Gulf War. Anna has a traumatic event in her life. And yet we clung to that. And it was a matter of the will because it was it, like, Lord, we are far from home. We are, I am by myself. My husband is over 
And who got, only God knows what could happen to him over there. And here we are, and all these things are happening. And let me tell you, I said that scripture verse over and over again. Lord, your word says, I know the plans I have for you, and they are for good, to give you a future and a hope. Now, it doesn't say it's going to be an easy future. It doesn't say life's going to be wonderful necessarily at times. But there is hope, and the best is yet to come. Mm-hmm. And that's the wonderful thing we have to know that th- this is not all there is. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, no, no, I want to I shout out to Nikki, whose verse is the same as mine. Yay, N- Nikki. What was it, Nikki? Proverbs. Yeah. So it's uh, whatever, whatever hers was. That was mine. Trust in the, trust in the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. But let me tell you how I believed that verse. I believed all meant only the things that I couldn't handle myself. You know, I wanted to handle the things that I could handle myself without acknowledging. And really, I found that um, overlaying the Daniel um, understanding of being with God that all means all, not just the things I don't think I can handle. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that's kind of the life I led for you know, the first X years of my military career and my married life was only the things that I didn't think I could handle. But it's all. It says all. And so um, it's, it's changed for me over, over time that all means all, um, regardless of whether... It's in my span of control or my span of understanding or my capability of doing all. All right. And the last question here, just sort of combine these last two. Um, you know, it's a sort of a chance for you to speak to us. Uh, you know, is there something like what's, you know, what look, <laughs> excuse me, looking back on how God has worked in your life. Um, and what we talked about before about, you know, letting the next generation know. You know, what would you want your great grandkids to know? What would you, what do you want this church to know? Like, you know, this is your chance. Like, what is, what's, how would you summarize the story of God in your life? Like, what would you want to say? You know, what do they, what do you think they need to know about the God that you know? I would say to know that God is good, um, all the time. And again, that doesn't mean that everything we, is going to be easy. It doesn't mean that we can explain the horrible things that happen around our world. And let me tell you, some pretty sucky things happen in our world. Some really awful things go on that there are times I want to say, Lord, do you know what you're doing here? How can these kind of things happen? Um, But, and again, I said it already, but, you know, the best is yet to come. We can't expect heaven to be what, earth to be what heaven's going to be like. You know, there, God allows evil Things and evil people and bad things to happen. I wish he didn't. And I don't understand it. It's a mystery. And it's one of the mysteries we will never understand. Why these terrible things we have to experience in our lives. But he is good. And he only wants our good. He only wants our good. And if there's anything that I would want my grandchildren to know. I'm trying to find Ethan. Is he even up He's up there. Ethan. One of the things I want Ethan to know and my grandchildren to know is that God is good and he cares and he wants our good. And there, because of that, we have a future and a hope.
Thank you. Uh, so, uh, in my in my case, um, I would say that because of free will that God gives us, there are bad things that happen. People choose to do bad things. But think about that. Think about the word choose. We have a choice. We have a choice every single day, every single connection we make, every single exchange of information, every single hello, everything we do. It's a choice. It's a choice how we handle it. It's a choice how we want to portray ourselves. It's a choice how we want God to be known through us. And um, the fact that I sometimes uh, have road rage over some idiot who's driving in front of me, um, I try from a choice perspective not to have my windows down so the person driving will hear me. Um, but the point is, is I... I want to I want to choose wisely how I interact because God has been uh, for the last 60 years uh, amazingly uh, faithful uh, to me. Yeah, 60. Yeah, but I didn't know him before I was oh. eight. <laughs> I'm good in math. She's not so good. Um, <laughs> Um, so for the past 60 years, he's been enormously faithful to us, even through some pretty uh, tough times. Uh, and he'll continue to be faithful. And what do I want my grandkids to know? I want that my grandkids to know that, um, to, that they, should, they should serve the Lord really with gladness. They should choose just to serve the Lord. It's, it's, I, I can remember inscribing a Bible for my teamster father. Uh, who didn't read the Bible, I said, Dad, uh, reading this Bible will help you get, get through life. It may not, life may not be any better, but there's a hope uh, at the end of this where you don't have the hope without it. And so that's really what I would want my grandkids to know is that there's a hope even through all of the messiness that goes on in this world. Can we can we say thank you to Gordon? All right, we're going to just close our service here in a moment. I just want to invite you to take out your connection cards, and on the back of that, it's an opportunity for you to respond today. And what I want you to think through is what they've shared. You know, we we began the service by talking about the song. It says, "Remind me of this with every decision. Generations will reap what I sow." I can pass on a curse or a blessing to those I'll never know. And that's what you heard, the choice. There's a choice. We've got a choice every day. And on the back of that card is an opportunity for you to respond. I'm going to invite our ushers to prepare to receive our, our tithes and offerings this morning as we close. And you can put your connection cards in there in just a moment. But take a minute and think about what, you know, where did you hear yourself in that story? Did you hear your story in that at all? You know, was there, was there anything of you you know, of God, the way God's worked in your life in that. And uh, maybe today you're going through difficult times and wondering where God is and why he's allowing that stuff. And I hope you're encouraged today to know <laughs> he's good. He's good, and there's hope in it. Somehow there's hope in it. Um, so appreciate appreciate Gordon and Joyce and who they are. Um, so we're just going to close in, in just a moment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you.
for your faithfulness to us. I thank you, Lord, for the stories of your faithfulness through the years. Lord, of generations and generations of faithfulness. Lord, we, we are better today and encouraged by hearing the story of those, Lord, who have experienced your faithfulness through the years and, and are quick to give you the, the credit. Say, it is God that has sustained us through these years. And it hasn't always been easy and it hasn't always been fun. But, but God, I see your goodness and I see, even when you didn't answer the prayers in the way that I thought you were going to, God, that you, you came through. And I'm just so grateful for how you've worked in our lives and how you continue to work. And God, I ask you today to do it again. If there are those today that just need to know, Lord, that, that you are hearing our prayers that you are at work, Lord, and it may not be in the way that we think, but you are at work and it's in the way that's best. If you're here today and, and, and you just need to know today that God's hearing your prayers, would you just raise your hand and say, God, I just want you to, I just want to know that you're hearing me. Just raise your hand between you and God and say, God, I want you to hear me today. I want to know that you're hearing me. God, you see our hands today. God, we want to know. Lord, and in this moment, would you just, would you just give us peace and assurance, Lord, in some way speak to our soul and let us know that you're hearing our prayers Lord, that you're not letting us just be on our own, but you, you are hearing it and responding today. I thank you, God. We commit ourselves to you. We give ourselves to you completely and wholly. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were encouraged by this message. For more information about Life Tree, please check us out online at lifetreecc.com.